Morning, everyone. It is brilliant to be with you again. And I'm just so encouraged to hear the many stories and testimonies of what God is doing uh, through you as Harvest Church uh, over this lockdown period in each other's homes, caring for people who are sick. Uh, it's, it's just so, so exciting to be able to uh, to see that in action in spite of things not being as we expect them to be. So, so God's kingdom is advancing. Uh, he, he continues regardless of uh, what's happening in and around us. And there's such an opportunity for each of us every day when we wake up to be able to go, Lord Jesus, what adventure do you have for me today? Holy Spirit, I want to be listening for your voice. I want to be uh, obeying uh, your call in different aspects of life. And I want you to use me. I want you to use me in the short time that I have on earth. And so, so be encouraged if you're here and you're exploring and you're checking out faith for, for the first time, you're just uh, so welcome. We, we love having you um, part of this online service together. Now we finished our vision series, which was so exciting to just sort of go through church and what we believe church should look like for us as harvest. We're so expectant for the months and the years ahead. And so we have a short few weeks um, that will be sort of one-off messages, and we're really excited about the series that will take us towards the end of the year. And so I would love to pray for us, and then we will dive into the message for today. So let's, let's pray. Uh, I so want uh, my words to be God's words. That's the only time they have any impact. And so, so let's really ask God to do that right now. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you are with us right now as we watch through screens, as we watch together in homes by ourselves. Maybe we're listening on the podcast. Uh, maybe we're listening to WhatsApp. Um, Father, I want to thank you that your words carry weight. They transform lives. They're powerful. So I just pray that as I share this morning, as we dive into your word, Holy Spirit, may you speak, may you challenge, may you touch us regardless of what's been happening in our weeks and what we're going through. I ask that you would minister to us, Lord Jesus, that we would be changed as a result of this time together. Your powerful, wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. So uh, when I was, I think it was the early teenage years, maybe it was the end of junior school, early teenage years, all of the cool kids wore silky boxes. So these were our boxes instead of underpants, there's the usual wife fronts, and these were the silky boxes. They had every possible design on them. I mean, there was SpongeBob SquarePants, there was uh, different designs and everything else. And if you were one of the cool kids, you wore silk boxes. And can I tell you, these were horrific to play sport in. I mean, these things, as you were running, you just had to do one run down the rugby field, and these things rode up until you were wearing them above your chest line, you got wedges. I mean, it was horrific, but we continued to press on. They also developed crazy static. I have no doubt that guys were giving each other electric shocks everywhere because of the static generated by silky boxes. But it was essential to wear them if you were going to be one of the cool kids. It was just absolutely essential. And so I soldiered through. I went and I bought these things, different designs, different colors, and I soldiered on. If you had the silkies, you were in the key group of young men. And I'm still unsure why, but I pressed in just for that sake. Now, why do I share this story? Well, when we look around the world, it's really clear that there are certain characteristics 
that are shared between groups of people. So for me and some friends and that sort of bracket, um, it was silk boxes that, that sort of had characteristics associated with them. But with people groups around the world, there are those same characteristics that are shared with people. It may be language. It may be the way that you dress. It may be physical appearance and what you do to your body, how you change your hair, earrings that you have, and more. But they can give us an indicator as to what that personal group care about, what they believe in, how they were brought up. So, so they, they're important for those um, sorts of things. People with accents from different parts of London, for example, might show that they support different sports teams, that their average earning is a certain level just by the accent, the way that someone talks. The surf wear attire may dictate a laid back beach sort of lifestyle. That, that's kind of, if you're wearing that attire, that's what it may describe or a desire for it. There's those that wear the feldskuns, you know, the good old farmer feldskuns, and they may show you identify with the sort of rugged life, the rough and rugged life. There's the baggy trousers with your boxes showing, you know, the trousers that you wear almost at knee height, you know, and your, your boxes show the rest, and they may tell a different story altogether. Lumo spiked hair and, and loads of different earrings may show a desire for the punk rock scene. Ladies who wear clothing where only their eyes are able to be seen, show, uh, shown through these slits, may show that they are likely to be part of the Muslim faith. Not always, but most likely. Specific tattoos can be identifiers of gangs, and the list continues. Now, there's obviously no one-size-fits-all approach. There will, of course, be outliers. There will be someone who just decides for that day or year to dress like this or to have their hair like this. They don't associate with the group that most does that most often. But on the whole, we can kind of give um, an, an identity to people based on those different characteristics. How you dress, how you talk, language or slang, and who you associate with. Now... As Christ followers, there's no specific dress code or slang that is universal to Christianity. Christianity sort of bridges the divide of all of those. You can be a Christ follower and dress differently and talk differently. So, so that's not the issue. The Christian faith has massive variation in those areas because the transformation that the Christian faith brings is internal. It's not really about the external at all. In fact, it's all about the internal at heart level. But... What should be the common thread, the basic characteristic that identifies Christ followers as a group to anyone else in the world? What is, if we were to sum it down, so, so yes, as Christ followers, we believe that we become Christ followers, not a result of our own works or anything else, but purely by what Christ did on the cross. So it's, it's what Jesus has done versus what we do. So that obviously is the foundational belief that's different. But what about an external characteristic? What should be a, um, something that shows everyone who Christ followers are? What is the unique identifier? What are the, the silk boxer shorts, if you were, of the Christian faith? What is that identifier? Well, let's find out because Jesus tells it very clearly, actually. He, he didn't put a lot of guesswork in there for us. He spelled it out. That's why we're often called sheep and he's called the shepherd because sheep aren't particularly clever. So uh, he, he describes this for us. But and to set the stage, as we get ready to read this passage, Jesus knows that his time 
is drawing towards an end on earth. He knows that he's about to be crucified. Uh, he knows uh, Ju Judas has been revealed as the one who is going to betray him. So he knows that that's happening and he's actually singled him out in the process. And this is some of the final sentences, some of the final words that Jesus shares with his closest followers. He wants to get across something incredibly important to them. And so let's read together. If you have your Bibles, I would love you to turn to John 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, about that far in your Bibles. If you have, uh, if you're on your phone, that's not a problem at all. And he's, John 13, he's uh, washed his disciples' feet um, and he's, he's spoken about um, that process. Uh, he's explained why he washed their feet. He's then spoken about Judas uh, betraying and we pick it up in verse 31. So John 13 verse 31. I'll read it all and then we'll, we'll split it up a bit. This is what it says. In mine it's entitled a new command. When he had left, talking about Ju uh, Judas, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we're going to unpack that for the time that we have together. So the first section, uh, Jesus sort of describes, obviously, verse 31, when he had left Judas, uh, he then describes this bit about the Son of Man, Jesus, and God being glorified and that happening together. So he explains that the time is coming uh, for him to fulfill his final purpose on earth that the Father had asked him to do. And he shows that there's this sort of perfect love, unity, and power between them. Glorifying means being made much of, being made to look greater than anything else. And this is what's going to happen. God's going to be displayed and showed as the one true God in Jesus dying and rising again and him honoring the Father in that process. He then explains again to his disciples that he's going to die. Children, I am with you just a little bit longer. And they kept asking him what he meant. And they, they just couldn't believe or didn't understand that he was going to die. Then this really interesting phrase where he says, you will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you where I'm going, you cannot come. And so uh, to his disciples, he's saying, you know, I'm going to die. And I'm going to heaven. Obviously, he's going to prepare rooms for them, but they're not going to be able to follow him on that role uh, where he's going. But then it's got a double meaning because when he's talking to the Jews about it, what he's explaining to the Jewish leaders is, hey, listen, you guys have rejected me. You've rejected who I am. And so you're not going to be able to come with me forever, for all eternity, because you're refusing to accept I am who I say I am. And so that's why he's saying you, as the Jewish leaders, cannot come because you are not transformed by the gospel. And now he shares the key identifier of Christ followers, the silk boxes of Christ followers. He gets down to it. You might say, as we read this, well, Craig, of course I know. I mean, that, I've heard that millions of times. Yes, but are we living it out? Is this the key identifier of your life and mine? Is it the thing that people say, I can see straight away that person's a Christ follower, that person's a Christ follower, that person's a Christ follower because of this key characteristic. 
we really need to look inwards at our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, please show us if this truly is the key identifier. So he shares, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's this repetition. He's really trying to get down to the detail. So why does he say a new commandment? Why a new commandment? Well, you see, this takes reference from different New Testament, uh, Old Testament, sorry, Mosaic Old Testament commandments. So Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So part of what he's saying is building upon that, saying God is most important, uh, love God with everything that you have. Also from Leviticus 19 verse 18, where he says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, against your brothers, your friends, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here he's bringing in again this little bit about loving others, which he shares in that passage. So Jesus is building, he's growing these mosaic commandments. And now he takes them to an even deeper level and he has done this during his time on earth. Uh, So he says to love one another, your neighbor, and he says, but just as I have loved you. And how has he loved? Well, he's going to show it in a short bit, but he's also about to demonstrate it on the cross. In Matthew 5 verse 43, he says that we should love our enemies. So he takes loving your neighbor a step further and he says, no, not, not just your neighbor, not just your friend, not just your son, but your enemy. He had many enemies during his time on earth, but he was about to have uh, the ultimate enemy and being killed by people as well. So he took loving our neighbor even further and he was about to demonstrate it. They just didn't know it at the time. Just before this, in John 13, he washes his disciples' feet. Now, feet in that time would have been dirty, dusty, no, no covered shoes, no socks, not regular bathing. It would have been a terrible thing. And he demonstrates his love by going to the lowest level that you can, by offering of himself, by washing dirty feet. And so, so he goes even deeper when it comes to demonstrating love to a neighbor. This wasn't uh, just having a meal with someone or helping someone who was sick. It was a deeply personal, intimate love. Then in John 15 verse 13, he he goes even more, which is really what he's about to show, where he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. He was about to do that, but you see how he builds on love. He's love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he takes it even further and he says, actually wash feet, go really demonstrate this in the most intimate, personal way. He says, love your enemies. At the same time now, he's saying, actually, it's about laying down your life. You notice that phrase as well, where he says, I'll I'll get it for you here, um, where he says, love one another just as I have loved you. And yes, he has loved in the most amazing ways, but he's also about to in the most incredible ways way. So Jesus says, I've shown you what love looks like. Now you do the same. I've shown it to you. I've demonstrated it. Now you do the same. And why must we do that? Why? Well, he says over there, by this. You notice you're reading over there and verse 35, by loving one another, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. So this love characteristic the way that we love, us loving other people as the key characteristic of a Christ follower, 
points people to him. He's saying, this is the main way that people know that you follow me is how you love. The main way. He's saying we should possess a love that goes beyond our enemies. We should possess a love that gets dirty, that gets intimate, that gets close. We should have a love that is costly. And when we do that, people will know that we are Christ followers. That is how people will identify us and should identify us over anything else. So you might say, well, you know, we don't necessarily have to wash feet now, Craig. Uh, we may not have to physically die for other people, although maybe we do. And looking at Afghanistan and what's happening there, I, I have no doubt that there will be Christ followers there who, who physically will end up giving their lives because of the place in which they're living. So for them, they will do this, but we can daily offer our lives. But, but how do we know what it means to love one another? How do you and I practically do this as Harvest family? Well, let's get a little bit of clarity. 1 John 4 verse 7 to 10. If you have your Bibles, you can turn across there. Uh, 1 John 4, verses 7 to 10. But, but this gives us some real clarity on how you and I can do this. This is what it says. Beloved, let us love one another. Again, this is John writing and reaffirming Jesus' words. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he's saying this is, this is part and parcel of being a Christ follower, is that you love. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. He's saying God in his very essence, he and of himself is love. He is the one who shows us what love is. When we want to know what exactly does love practically look like, we look at his example, and then we follow on from there. Do you see that? It look like, it's actually like, but anyway, I don't always pronounce things properly. <laughs> so in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, so not that we dictate what love looks like, we don't choose what it looks like, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. So God in himself is love. He is the determining factor of what love looks like and he has demonstrated it to us. He's shown it to us by coming to die for us. So here's the complete picture of what love is and he defined it. So when we love, it will involve action. Do you see how it says God is love? And then it says he demonstrated it by doing this. So you can't love without action. Love is an action. It's a commitment that places the interests of someone else above our own and their best interests. This can be in small or large actions each day, but it will involve action. We cannot love without action. Now, the main driver of the action of love is commitment rather than emotion. So if you look at Jesus coming to die for us, in and of emotion, there could well have been some emotions that were like, I don't want to go through that pain. These people have really hurt me. There's lots of enemies out there. In a human sense, there's lots of emotion that might stop you from acting in a loving way. And so therefore, the commitment the decision to love, the action overrides emotion. You see, where God has no sin, we do. And so this means that his emotions will always be pure. His emotions will always be in line with his action. But we don't have that. So our feelings can sometimes prevent us, and I think often prevent us, from the commitment of love. This is where we deeply, desperately need the help from the Spirit to override emotions that are not of God 
so that we act in love regardless of feeling. Because we might have sinful feelings, anger, frustration, annoyance, and those can prevent us from acting with a commitment of love. And we need this to override our feelings. This is where we need the Spirit's help. This may be the classic case of maybe uh, you've been hurt by someone or maybe there's a situation and it's like, I know what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. And sometimes we go, nah, definitely not. No ways am I going to act that way towards that person. It's too difficult. That's when we're letting our emotions override the commitment of love. We need to stop. We need to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, God, what is it you're asking me to do? I might not feel like it, but what am I supposed to do? What's the, the loving action? Okay, great. I'm going to act even if my feelings, my sinful feelings are telling me otherwise. So there'll be these internal emotions. It could be passion, could be annoyance, could be frustration. But the commitment to love needs to override that as it did with Christ, as it with God when he mirrored this, he demonstrated it to us. What will be best in God's economy and God's kingdom for that person regardless of how I feel? You know, when Jesus was on the cross, there would have been a number of emotions, pain, hurt, his father turning his back on him, people hurting him and mocking him. But he never allowed those things to override his commitment to do what he was supposed to do. And so, Lord Jesus, please help us. We, we so need God's help in this process. So we know God's the ultimate example of love. We know that love is a commitment to the best interests of another. But, but what should it look like? What, what will it look like? How will people be able to see the way that person's acting, the way that person's living? I can see that that is loving and I can see that comes from God. How do we relate to each other? How do people all around know that we love each other? Well, it's because our attitudes, our actions, the words that we speak, our body and how we move about the action that we give will display the characteristics of love. So this is where we get to that famous passage, 1 Corinthians 13, which, which tries to get down to God is love, but what kind of does that look like? How can we put our finger on what that looks like? Let me just read this. Let it, let it sink in for you today. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. I know for me, I look at that and go, Craig, you are so, so far off that at many times in your day, many times in your life. But, but that's the litmus test for us. That's, that's, that's our ballpark to aim at and to ask God to help us at because by living that way, it will show people that we are God's disciples. It shows us how we're doing when it comes to loving one another. You can easily look each day and go, God, how am I doing in that? How did I do yesterday? Okay, great. This is where I need to work on things. So a few thoughts as I close. If we look at that passage, loving one another is essential. It is essential as a Christ follower to love people. It is the way that people know Jesus is real. So don't feel that some are good at loving people and others aren't. This is for all of us. If you're a Christ follower, this is for all of us. This is the key characteristic. Next one. Loving one another is costly and it's not based on the performance of the other person. We love without expectation of anything in return. 
We love because it's God's characteristic and we don't expect people to do something because of it. Next one. Displaying the fruit of the Spirit is essential to effectively using the gifts of the Spirit. Let me say that again. Displaying the fruit of the Spirit, the outward signs of God working in our hearts, is essential to effectively using the gifts of the Spirit. The passage I just read in 1 Corinthians 13 says that the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, uh, preaching, um, tongues, um, uh, interpretation of dreams, the list could go on, are not effective. They are pointless for God if we don't have love. Love is the starting point for those to be used effectively. Then finally, loving one another is about associating with different people. The disciples were from different backgrounds. Jesus was talking to them all from different backgrounds, wealth brackets, traditions, upbringings. Jesus said the way you care for each other in your differences shows the world me. It's easy to care for those that are the same as us. Everyone can do that. It's easy for us to love and care for people who are the same, who we get on well with. But when Jesus said to the disciples, one another, he meant more. He meant across differences, across things that frustrate each other. Iron sharpens iron, different body parts. That's when people see me. We can only love one another if we understand and have received Christ's love. It is only once we realize the absolute holiness of God, the horror of our sin, and therefore the wonder of the cross, that we'll be able to love others with Jesus's kind of love. You won't be able to manufacture this on your own. You see, it's the love of God that leads us to repentance, to turn the other way, to, to lay down our lives for His. But it's the holiness of God that makes us realize we need His love in the first place. If we don't believe he's holy and we don't think our sin really matters, well, then his love doesn't mean what it should mean. The two are hand in hand. And we have to understand that if we're going to love people well. So friends, how are we doing when it comes to loving one another? How are you doing in loving other people? This is the key characteristic that will show Jesus is who he said he was. So let's get loving and let's grow in this area. Jesus is the very essence of what it means to love. And we've seen the greatest display of what love is by him laying down his life on the cross. Just what he was about to do on the back of the passage that we just read. So the way that we gauge our love is if we're loving like Christ. Love for those who hurt us. Love for those who annoy us. Love for those who disagree with us. Love for those who are different to us. Love as Christ loved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the challenge of loving one another as you've loved us. And in that people will know that we are your followers, that we are your disciples. I pray for everyone listening, for everyone tuned in, for everyone watching from close and afar. Father, I pray that this would be the characteristic of us as Harvest family and beyond, that we would love, that we would love with your kind of love that we would lay down our lives for others, that we would sacrifice for others, that we wouldn't expect anything in return. And when people see the way that we love, the 1 Corinthians 13 characteristics of love, they would say, I need to know where that love comes from. I need to know how that person can live like that. And in that, it'll turn many people to you, that we will see great growth in people coming to faith as a result of the way that we love. In your powerful name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you. I want to say thank you so much for being part of this. If you've um, never given your life to Christ, if you are exploring faith and you want to know more, please get in touch with us through the website, WhatsApp details uh, below this um, uh, on YouTube or um, contact us through Facebook, however you want to. We would love to help you on your journey of faith. But otherwise, I pray that you have a brilliant week ahead. Let's be people who love and love radically and love well and so look forward to being with you again very soon. Thanks so much and have a great rest of your day.